0: All right, man, I'll let you pass the uh, offering buckets, and as they're doing that, if you will, I'm going to let you open your Bible to Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8 this morning, and uh, we're going to get going in our in our message, Romans chapter 8. The title of the message this morning is, God is for us, God is for us, and uh, I, I'm telling you, if you picked a day to come to church, today's the day, I'm telling you, I mean, in all seriousness, now I think, uh, Cody said it in Sunday school, every day we come to church, if we come with the right heart attitude, I, I think the Lord would give us what we stand in need of, and God knows exactly what we need, when we need it, but I'm telling you, today is the day, and, uh, and i just preparing this, I need about a week to preach it, but we don't have that, and uh, so we're going to get right into it, Romans chapter 8, we've been working through Romans systematically, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, Romans chapter 6, We learned that we have victory over our flesh because of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 7, we learned that we have victory over the law because of Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 8, we're learning that we as Christians have victory because of the Spirit of God that is at work in our heart and life. The Spirit of God uh, gives us victory. And we've been working through this passage. We're going to try, by the grace of God, to finish Romans 8 this morning. We're going to start in verse 28. And and I'm going to read just a few verses, and and then we'll, in your your bulletin, you should have a set of notes, and if you want to take notes or follow along, feel free to do that. Uh, I I find in my own life, if I write things down, I remember them better and can pick it up later and and look back over that thing and remember what God taught me while I was sitting in church and learning. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, the Bible says, "...and we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose." And man, if there's an an underline or highlight verse in your Bible, if it isn't already underlined and highlighted, go ahead and do that now. Romans 8 and verse 28 is a tremendous promise from God. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also he called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. This morning, I want to tell you and, and encourage you from the Word of God that God is for you. God is for us as a church, as Community Fellowship Baptist Church. God is for you as an individual Christian. And the first point of study of this is this this morning. God has, and you need to understand this, God has a purpose for your life. God has a purpose for your life. In verse 28, And we know that all things whatsoever work, work together for good to them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. Now, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we finished verses 25 to 27. And Romans 8, verses 25 to 27, talk about the adoption for the Christian. The adoption in the Bible is not your salvation The adoption in the Bible is the redemption of your body. It is the rapture of the church or the resurrection, if you've already died in Christ, where you get a glorified body. And so we are waiting for that adoption. In other words, the redemption of our body. And Romans 8 says that we can have hope in that truth. And and because of that truth, we need to have patience. Now, all the patient people in the room, raise your hand. That's what I thought. (laughs) Brother Marvin would be the only one, I think, that could honestly, before the Lord, raise his hand, and the rest of us did right by not raising our hand. And I know most of you, and I would agree with your testimony of yourself, which is why my hand stayed down as well. We're we're to wait with patience for that adoption. Wouldn't it be great if it happened today? Wouldn't it be great if we had that glorified body today, and we were with the Lord forever today? Things would be a lot better There's nothing that the rapture won't solve in your life. Can I tell you that? It's the best thing that would happen for every one of us, but we're not there yet, so we have to wait for it. And then in Romans 8 and verse 26, God tells us that the Spirit of God helps our infirmities. In other words, while we're still in this life, there's going to be difficulty, we're going to struggle with sin, we're going to struggle with hardships, and so the Spirit of God intercedes on our behalf to God. So even when we don't know how to pray for situations and for people and for things, the Spirit of God makes intercession for us. And that's kind of weird when you really study that out because one part of the, of the Trinity is actually praying to the other part of the Trinity on your behalf. How crazy is that? I mean, God's got it covered. And, and, and even when we don't know how to pray or what to pray or even if we don't pray, man, listen, the Spirit of God is interceding for us because He knows that we are still Broken weak vessels, and we're still in this corruptible flesh, awaiting that adoption, and we have infirmities. All of that precedes verse 28, because verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for good. Even the infirmities and the difficulties and the and the struggle in this life. All of that is going to work together for good to them that love God and them that are the called according to his purpose. And so we have to learn, first and foremost, God has a purpose for our life and everything that is happening in my life today is working together for the good of God's purpose. You say, Jay, I had a rough week. It was a bad week. Well, your bad week is still working together for good. Good. For, for God's purpose, and I'm going to explain that in just a second. So I want to encourage you this morning. That's one of the greatest promises in the Bible for the child of God. Underline it, highlight it, memorize it, quote it to yourself, put it on your speedometer. I mean, don't cover your speedometer, I guess, because I'm not paying your speeding ticket. But put that promise in your, in your car, on your mirror in the morning. Everything that's happening in my life is working together for, for good, because God has a purpose. Okay, let's talk about the people. The, the, the people that God mentions in this verse is them that love God. Them that love God. Now listen, every born-again believer ought to love God. I mean, listen, if you're born again, if you're saved, if you understand what Christ did for you, his finished work on the cross of Calvary, if you've received salvation by faith, listen, you should experience and, and you've experienced the love of God, which in turn makes you love God back. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and verse 3, the Bible says, if any man love God... The same is known of him. The same is known of him. You can, you can tell the people that really love God. First John chapter 4, verses 19 to 21 says this: We love him because he first loved us. Amen? Amen? I mean, listen, we're learning that on Wednesday night in our study in First John. If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? This is the commandment we have from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. You see, that's how you know if a man really loves God or not, because he loves his his brother. He loves his brothers in Christ. He loves his sisters in Christ. John 14 and verse 21 says this, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You walk with me, you obey me, and you obey my word, and you have fellowship with me. And so the people that have this tremendous promise from God are those that love God. And here is the purpose, and that's the next blank in your notes. The purpose, it says that we know that all things work together for us that are called, the called according to his purpose. God has an eternal purpose for you, Christian. It goes beyond your schedule this week, your day this week, your your short-term and short-range plans. God has an eternal purpose purpose for you because you were made for eternity. Just like God is. God is eternal, and He's made you for eternity because He has an eternal purpose. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 says this. Paul writes and he says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him in whom, in Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. I just want you to understand, God has a purpose that is eternal, and, and his eternal purpose has a very specific purpose that plays out in your life because you're part of his purpose. You say, what is his purpose? Well, I'm not done reading the Bible yet. Hang on. <laughs> Ephesians 3, verses, verses 10 to 11. Paul writes again in the Ephesian epistle, and he says, "...to the intent now that under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord." Okay, so here's the, here's the key, and I think I have a blank there for you. Look, God's eternal purpose, and here it is, here's the key principle. God's eternal purpose is to glorify God by Jesus Christ through his body, the church, as we preach the gospel to the world. And I'm going to read it again so you get it all together. God's eternal purpose is to, to glorify God God's purpose is that himself is glorified by Jesus Christ. He's going to do that through his body, the church. That's you and that's me if you're born again. As we preach the gospel to the world. And and so the point is, look, you're already wrapped up in God's eternal purpose. The moment you got saved and accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are part of accomplishing and fulfilling God's purpose, God's eternal purpose to bring God glory by Jesus Christ through his church as as the entire world hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the purpose. That that ought to give you some comfort because everything that is happening in your life is going to work together for good toward that purpose. And, And that's why we struggle because we don't know God's purpose many times. What is his eternal purpose? I just gave it to you. And everything that's happening in your life is going to point and direct and work together for good toward that. And if it's not toward that, well, maybe it ain't going to work together for good. Because the only thing that that God wants to accomplish is his eternal purpose. And listen, you you matter so much to God that anything and everything that comes into your life is going to work itself out for good so that God can see his eternal purpose accomplished. Doesn't matter how bad you think your week was. Doesn't matter what the doctor said. Doesn't matter if you got fired from that job. Doesn't matter if your spouse and and you aren't getting along. Everything will work out for good for God's eternal purpose. For God's eternal purpose. You have a purpose. So your purpose is not to live 70, 80, 90 years, get all you can, and then sit on your can, and, and then die. Your eternal purpose is to bring God glory to your life, by Jesus Christ, through his body, the church, as we reach the world with the gospel. And everything that will come into your life will, will propel you toward that purpose, if you'll let it, if you'll let it. Number two, God has predetermined or predestined a determined course for your life. God has predestined a determined course for your life. Can you pick it up in verse 29? That was a question. Okay, I just, want, I just wanted to make sure you're still awake. We have coffee on tap over there. Okay, verse 29. Look at what it says. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them also he called. And whom he called, them also he justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. So listen, this good that God is working together in our life for his eternal purpose is literally conforming us to the image of Christ. And and that's what we're going to get into this portion of scripture. God has a predestined, a determined course for your life. And that course means, or that, or that, that purpose is that you become more like Christ. God's already predestined that. God's already predetermined that, that you would be conformed to the image of His Son. Now look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. You can't look at it because it's not on the screen. Let me read it to you. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says this, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The good work that God began performing in you the moment you got saved was to make you conform to the image of His Son. In other words, to make you more like Christ. That's what God is doing right now in in your life. And and so, listen, when we get to this portion of Scripture, you know, maybe some of you get a little uncomfortable because there's words like foreknowledge and predestination. And and listen, we know that there certainly is some some, uh, popular opinion on these two words and the doctrine that they both uh, carry forth with. And and I don't want to be brash and I won't be brash, but there are some people that would teach. They would use a portion of Scripture like this, as well as Ephesians chapter 1, to teach that God's foreknowledge and predestination is that God predestined some people to get saved and God predestined some people to not get saved. That is is a a very small, uh, minute description of a, a doctrine called Calvinism or Reformed theology that God has eternally decreed that some people are going to get saved no matter what, and some people are not going to get saved no matter what, and man's free will has no choice in the matter. And, and, and again, the point is not to, to debunk that or debate that this morning, but the point is to take the passage and say, hey, what is this really teaching? And so I want to just take the Bible and let the Bible define itself. That's a, that's a foreign concept, isn't it? Uh, let's let the Bible define itself. And so here's the key in your notes. Look, foreknowledge, according to God, means this. Here's the definition. The, the word foreknew or foreknowledge means that God knows what you're going to do before you do it. That's what foreknowledge is. And, and listen, we have to understand that God is outside of time. We, have, we can't understand it because we're human and, and we've been born and then we die and, and we're wrapped in, we're bound by the boundaries of time as humanity. But even before Genesis 1-1 in the beginning, even before Genesis 1-1, God already existed. Because God is eternal. He's past, present, and future. He he doesn't see time the way we see it. God can declare the end from the beginning. And and listen, we know this very practically. God's already written the end of the Bible. He's already told us how it's going to end. How can God do that? Because he's outside of time. He has foreknowledge. And let me give you an example of this from the Bible. Acts chapter two, when 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 I believe this is Peter preaching in Acts chapter 2, and he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, him, Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, and he's preaching to, to Israel, he says, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And so here's how God's foreknowledge works. God knew that Jesus Christ was going to be betrayed. He knew that Jesus Christ was going to be falsely accused. He was going to go through a mock trial. And ultimately, he knew that Christ would be crucified for the sin of the world. God, in his foreknowledge, knew that. And yet, those individual men that carried that out, the Roman rulership, Pilate, Herod, the Jewish religious leaders, okay, the Roman centurion and the soldiers, all of those people had an individual choice to be a part of that or not. So God's foreknowledge is different than his predestination. His foreknowledge said, I know this is going to happen, but man still had a choice as to whether or not it was them personally that was actually crucifying Christ. God said, it's going to happen, But what wasn't predestined was who it was going to be. Otherwise, if you make that argument, you have to say that before the foundation of the world, God handpicked the individual people that were going to nail our Lord and Savior to the cross. God handpicked the individual people who would be a part of that mock trial. God handpicked the individual people that mocked Him and smote Him and beat Him. That's where you have to land if if you don't understand the biblical difference between predestination and foreknowledge. Okay, so listen. Revelation chapter 13 and verse 8 says this, "...and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of, uh, of life of life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world." So before even the foundation of the world, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, right? Even before the foundation of the world... God says that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was going to be slain. God could say that because He has foreknowledge. He is outside of time. And because God is outside of time, He was before the beginning, and, and there is nothing that He doesn't already know. Now, let's, let's take that. And, and again, if you're first time this morning, or maybe you hadn't been in a while, or newer to our church, you're like, oh, this is deep. It's not. It's not too deep, but it is a little deep. So let's take foreknowledge and then compare it to to predestined or predestination. Because the difference is this. When you look at the Bible, predestination means that God determines what you're going to do. He is going to make you do this. Now, now God foreknew some things, but God also predetermined or predestined some things. And the difference is that that when, when we talk about predestination... God is determining what you're going to do, and He's going to make sure that you do it. Now, in the Bible, Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 1 are the only two places in the Bible that this word or a, a, a variation of this word are used. Let me read you the verse out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. The Bible says, Blessed be God, excuse me, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. In heavenly places, in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. This is the only reference to the word predestined or predestination in your Bible, in a King James Bible, by the way. So what was chosen before the foundation of the world? Well, some would say what was chosen before the foundation of the world was who was going to get saved and who wasn't going to get saved. You know, the problem with that is people, don't actually stand, people that believe that don't actually stand up and teach that. If you really believe that, you would stand up and teach that some of you in the room can't get saved because God predestined you not to get saved. And that shows a lack of integrity and character personally if you can't teach what the, the Bible really says. That's not what the Bible teaches, by the way. What was chosen before the world was not individuals to salvation. What was chosen before the foundation of the world was, was that we would be chosen in Christ, that salvation is in Christ alone. The method, the process, the, 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 the availability of salvation is in Christ alone. And listen, once you are in Christ God has predetermined and predestinated your life to be conformed to the image of Christ. He has decided and determined what you're going to do. In other words, he didn't have foreknowledge and say, okay, I already know the end from the beginning, but once you get saved, you decide. That's not what he did. His decision, his predestination, his predetermined will was when you get saved, I have predetermined that you will all be conformed to the image of Christ. And he even in that text in Ephesians 1 uses the word adoption of children. Adoption always has to do with a glorified body. It's the redemption of your body, according to Romans chapter 8. It's not your salvation. Your salvation is a birth. It's a birth. And yet you do get a glorified body. And so here's the key that you want to get down Today. Look, predestination as it relates to the Bible is only operative after salvation and not before. Predestination is only operative after salvation and not before. That means that you have a free will to choose to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have a free will to choose to reject it. But once you choose and you say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I understand that the payment and the consequence of my sin is death, hell, and eternity separated from you, and I don't want that for my life, and I understand what Christ did on the cross of Calvary, and I understand that forgiveness is available through him, and salvation is available through him, and I willingly ask you to save me from my sin. When you do that, God's predestination activates because once you become a believer in Christ, God has predetermined that you would be conformed to the image of His Son, that you would be like Christ. You would be holy. You would be the Son of God that God intended you to be. God never predetermined or predestined anybody to hell. As a matter of fact, the state of a lost man, any lost man, his destination is already determined. To be separated from God in a devil's hell. John chapter 3 tells us that if, if a man doesn't believe on the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the wrath of God abides on him already. But man, listen, once he gets saved, God's predestination kicks in, it activates, and now God has a predetermined course for his life, and it's to become like Christ. And listen, some of us in the room need to hear that, because God didn't, God didn't get you to the gospel and let you get saved so you could follow your own course. And make your own life. God, God, God now has a predetermined course that you would become like Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 says this of Christ, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. God wants you to become like Christ, He wants you to become godly, He wants this church to become like Christ. Hello? And listen, this church is made up of us individuals, but we are a body. We're a family of believers, and our church should become more and more like Christ. You know, in Ephesians chapter 4, and we don't have time, but when you read Ephesians chapter 4, and and that's one of the the couple or several lists in the Bible of spiritual gifts, and God talks about apostles and prophets and evangelists, and then he talks about pastors and teachers, And, and basically, Paul is writing and saying, God gifted these gifts to the church so that we could be perfected, so that we could do the work of the ministry, so that we can edify the body of Christ. Verse 13 is the key. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. What man? Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You know, I appreciate what Sean said. Their, their, their burden for ministry is to go train nationals, that grow to maturity, to become like Christ, so that those nationals can go train nationals and plant churches that become like Christ. Well, you know what I'm encouraged about this morning? I'm looking at a room full of nationals. <laughs> you all, culturally speaking, are my people. And you know what? God put us together. God put us together so that we could all grow to become like Christ. Christ. And so that we could all reproduce our life that is like Christ into the life of other people. And by the grace of God, that this church can plant other churches. I need more amens on that one. Because listen, that's the goal. The goal is that we reproduce ministry the way Jesus did. Okay, so listen, we got to hurry. You're not listening fast enough. <laughs> I, just want you to, I just want you to walk away from that second point to understand. If you're a believer in Christ... God's already predetermined the course for your life. He's already predetermined it. And it's to become like Christ. It's to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's to grow into a perfect man. You need to be a part of a church to do that. You need pastors and teachers to help you accomplish that. And then when you do, God gives you the privilege and opportunity to reproduce that into the life of other people. That is the point of your life. And, and God doesn't let you pick. He's already decided that for you as part of that transaction of salvation, right? And uh, that, was in the, that was in the fine print, so to speak. But listen, that's the best deal going. That's the best deal going. All right, number three, quickly. We, we will get done. Pick it up in verse 31. I promise we'll get done, even if it means we stop at 3 o'clock. Okay, uh, verse, <laughs> verse 31. Is this helpful? Man, listen, this ought to help us. Number three. Number three, third point is this. God wants you to ponder these truths, okay? God wants you, everything that we just learned, God wants you to actually take a moment and ponder these things, and I would, I would encourage you to take more than a moment. That's why you need to write stuff down so you can walk out of here and, and think about this. Look at verse 31. So Paul writes, and he says, what shall we say to these things? And the these things are the things that he's just mentioned. And you could argue it's the whole chapter. You could argue it's everything he said in Romans up to this point. For practical purposes, I'm just going to say, what, what are we going to say to the things that we just learned? God has a purpose. It's an eternal purpose. God has predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Well, what do we say to that? And Then Paul says, if God be for us, who can be against us? And, it, and There's another promise that you probably should underline, highlight, asterisk, memorize, write on a card, put it on your mirror, put it on your, your, your speedometer. If God be for us, who can be against us? And listen, he begins this section of the text asking several questions, and they're all rhetorical questions. Let me just say this. When you really understand that God is for you, you're going to find out who really is against you. (laughs) Do you understand? Do you understand that? I mean, the verse is not, it is a question, and we know that when we study the Bible, you don't base a doctrine on uh, on a question, you have to have scripture compared with scripture. The truth is the, the principle is the truth. If God is for us, who can be victorious against us? The answer is nobody. But practically speaking, you already know that if God is for you, there are some things against you. Number one, your flesh is still against you. I, I mean, I mean, have you battled that flesh since you got saved? Yeah, absolutely, and and you'll keep battling it until the rapture or until you breathe your last breath and then you know you're with the lord and then the resurrection i mean i mean that that is against you this world system is against you right first john chapter 2 all that's in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life those things are not of the father they're of the world well those things are against us the devil is an adversary You know, the devil is our adversary, and even though he can't devour you because you are eternally secure in Christ, he certainly can discourage you. He certainly can absolutely still have impact in your life. Listen, positionally speaking, there is nothing that can be against you that can, can be victorious. Nothing. Disease can't be victorious. Weapons of mass destruction can't be victorious. There is no government that can be victorious against you as a child of God. You win in Christ, positionally. But practically speaking, we know, yeah, there's some things that still are against me. So I have to walk in the truth of those previous promises. All things are working together for good. God's going to work it together for His good. And if you go through verses 32 to 35 quickly, You know, Paul asks these questions. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him, with Christ, also freely give us all things? You have all things in Christ. You say, well, I need some things. No, you don't need anything. You need Christ. And you have all things in him. You have all things in him. And and listen, when you have him, you realize you really have all things. So all of a sudden, wardrobe doesn't matter, car doesn't matter, house doesn't matter. Location doesn't matter. Food doesn't matter because you have him. He gives you all things freely. He is our provision. Verse 33 Who shall lay uh, anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justifieth. And man, listen, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Do you realize that he continually accuses you before God day and night, according to the book of Revelation? Do you also understand that in Christ, There's not a single charge or accusation against you that sticks because you're in Christ. You have the victory. God is for you. Who can be against you? Not even the devil. And he knows you. He knows you. He knows you. He knows what you do. He knows how you think. He knows how you react. And he leverages that against the throne of God. And the Lord's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Because I see my son Jesus, and I see his shed blood. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. Man, listen, that ought to give us victory. Verse 34, who is he that condemneth? If It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that's risen again, and he's at the right hand of God, and he maketh intercession for us. In this same chapter, we have the Spirit of God making intercession for us before the throne, and we got Jesus Christ himself making intercession. And I don't know about you, but I think Jesus knows how to pray. Hello? (laughs) You got two-thirds of the Trinity, the Spirit of God and the Son of God, making intercession for you. Who's going to be against you? Nobody. Nothing. And then we get to that famous passage. Get your highlighter out, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword... As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. You know, the, the guy writing this, the human instrument, is the Apostle Paul. If anybody knew of some things that could possibly separate him from Christ's love, it would have been Paul. As a matter of fact, and we don't have time, but, but 2 Corinthians 11, I think the reference is in your notes, so later, you know, take some time and look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 23 to 28. That's where, where one of the places where Paul lays out all of his sufferings, and I want you to just listen to this. He says, you know what? Are they the ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant. Paul said he labored all the time. He's just working all the time. Anybody tired this week? <laughs> Sean got here and he came into my office. He said, how you doing, man? I said, I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, I'm already tired and we ain't even got to the pulpit yet. I'm tired. Paul says, I'm laboring more abundant than anybody else. He says, in stripes, I've been beaten above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. In other words, people were trying to take his life often. Of the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, save one. That equates to 195 lashes, by the way. Also, by the way, if you were to see Paul, what, would have said, what he said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 17, would have been a reality when you looked upon him. He said in Galatians 6, and verse 17, that from henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul ain't a polished Sunday morning Baptist preacher. Paul was beat to death numerous times, nearly to death. He received 195 lashes. That's, that's 40 times five, save one each time. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. That's Acts chapter 14. He suffered shipwreck a night and a day. Three times he suffered shipwreck. One of those times he was in the water 24 hours. A night and a day in the deep. And journeyings often in perils of waters, perils of robbers, perils by my own countrymen, perils of the heathen, perils of the city. Perils in the wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, weariness, painfulness, watchings, and hunger, and thirst, and fastings often, and cold, and nakedness. How's your week been? You think you had a bad week? And then he says in verse 28, besides those things which are without, everything I just said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches... Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? And he says, if I, I must needs glory, I will glory in the things concerning my infirmities." Here's the point. Look, if anybody would have had the ability to say, where is God in all of this? It would have been Paul. Where's God while I'm strapped to this post getting beaten with 40 lashes, save one? Where is God when this ship is sinking? And I'm in this ocean clinging to whatever I can cling to to save my life. Where's the Lord in that? Where is the Lord when I'm getting literally stoned to death? Acts chapter 14. You know, Paul, Paul had the authority to understand and to say in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He knew that no matter what happened in his life, the love of Christ was on him and in him. He knew that whatever happened in his life, God was working it for good according to God's eternal purpose. According to God's eternal purpose. And so listen, you know, that ought to encourage you a little bit because, you know, when you get saved, and then especially if you start getting discipled and start growing you know, There are some guys that will lie to you and tell you that your best life is now and, and all the things associated with that as a Christian. Your best life is now in the sense that there's nothing that can separate you from the love of God. But it ain't always rosies and dandelions. And God wants you to know this morning that no matter what happens, God is for you. And no matter what happens, God is using it to work together for good to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. And then lastly, verse 38. Let's skip down and then we're done. Verse 38. God wants you to ponder those things because, number four, God wants you to be persuaded. God wants you to be persuaded. You know, the reason you ponder through the Bible and the reason that we teach like we do expositionally and the reason why we have all these notes and tons of references is not because I'm trying to be studious and Academic, it, it, it's so that you are confronted with the truth of God's word, so that you can ponder it so that you can finally be persuaded of what God really says. God wants you to be fully persuaded, thus saith the Lord, and I can walk out of here in the confidence that God is for me, and if God is for me, who can be against me? God wants you to walk out of here with assurance. He says in verse 38, Paul says, "For I am, I am persuaded." Well, the reason he was persuaded is because of all the things we just studied and he believed them. He says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, that's today, nor things to come, that's tomorrow, nor height, nor death, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants us to ponder on the promises of his word so that we can be fully persuaded. He says, death cannot separate us from the love of Christ." you need to read 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 55 because God says the Christian can say to death, O death, where is thy sting? And listen, if we do die in this life, there is a rapture and resurrection coming and those dead in Christ will say to the grave, O grave, where is thy victory? Because I just came up out of here (laughs) because of the Lord. You, You got nothing on me. You can't hold me, you can't contain me, because I am in Christ, and Christ is in me. Man, listen, life, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, Paul says, In this life, only if we have hope in Christ, we are of the men most miserable. This life is just not this life. Point one, we're made for eternal life. We have an eternal life awaiting us. He says angels cannot separate us from the love of Christ. I want you to know the Bible teaches there are good angels, there are fallen angels. He says, principalities and powers, and if you study Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, many times those are associated with spiritual wickedness and spiritual warfare. He says, things present, that's today. Things to come, that's tomorrow. That's the next day, that's the next week, the next month, the next year, the next election, the next child, the next job, the next death in the family, the next failure, the next trial. It's just the next thing. Whatever the next thing is, it doesn't matter it can't separate you from the love of Christ. It just cannot. There is no single thing. It even says not any creature. And if anybody would have known about that, Paul had a messenger of Satan that buffeted him, that that personally tormented him. And we could study that later if you'd like over coffee. But even that thing couldn't separate him from the love of Christ. So there's no single thing. There's no combination of things. There is nothing That shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. And God wants you to be fully persuaded of that. Now, just because you're hearing me doesn't mean you're fully persuaded. Because when you're fully persuaded, that means you walk in that truth by faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 13, there were a group of people. You know, Hebrews 11 is the the famous chapter of faith. Many of you that study the Bible, you know that. We're done right here. Uh, There were some people that certainly lived out some pretty amazing things by faith. And then you get a little further into the chapter and you read about some people that had faith But you would say, well, that didn't work out so good for them. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. Well, I thought if I just believed God and believed His Word, it's all going to work out. It will work out for good, for God's eternal purpose. They didn't receive the promises, but having seen them afar off, maybe in the third heaven, maybe when the Lord returns at His second coming, when they saw them afar off, the Bible says, and they were persuaded of them. They embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and it ain't America. You hear me? You see, there are some people that live by faith that see some things far off how far off Colossians 3 says that they're above those things are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God and and listen when you understand that, that there is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love of Christ that you are in him and he is in you and God is for you you can live for him no matter what when you're fully persuaded Close your Bibles. Listen, the question I have for you is this. How persuaded are you? How persuaded are you? God has a purpose for your life. And listen, I know this morning, man, we, we, we burned a lot of Scripture. i got about 30 more minutes, but we don't have it. God has a purpose for your life. It's an eternal purpose. And God has predestined you in Christ to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now, some of us need to grasp that truth today, that my life is predetermined to be more like Christ. That means that my salvation certainly was free, and it was my choice. I had a free will to accept Christ, but once I accepted Christ, man, God's got a plan for me, and I need to be about that plan. I need to be about that plan. Even if you don't live for the Lord, you know that you're going to get a glorified body and be like Christ. God's going to work it out anyways. It works out a whole lot better when we walk in fellowship with him and obedience with him. Listen, some of you this morning, you may be struggling because life is getting difficult, circumstances get difficult, things happen, and you may question, where is God in all of this? Learn from the Apostle Paul. He's right there with you, and his love is right there with you, and it's just as strong, and it's just as real, and it's just as present and it's just as sustaining and it's just as comforting as it is when, when the world's not falling apart. And you need to learn to trust Him because God wants to use you for His eternal purpose and reaching the world with the gospel. All right, let's pray and we'll, we'll dismiss. Father, we love you this morning, God. I, I know, uh, Lord, you have some things for us today.